Hello and welcome back, you lovely people who keep coming back to listen to Books in the Biz. I am the biz part, Dan Paulson. I am here with the books part, the financial guy, the guru of money, Rich Feltry. <laughs> How the heck are you? I'm good. Good morning. Good morning to you. So as I mentioned in our previous episode, we are spending some time for at least the next couple episodes talking about client experiences and, and what what we've gone through. And one of the things that I'm also looking at doing is kind of highlighting one or the other of us a little bit more on some of these as well. So as Rich and I were sitting here brainstorming, you probably remember the discussion, you brought up collections. I'm like, well, collections is something I kind of deal with, but I'm not a CFO. So I'm typically not full on into that. And I thought that would be a good opportunity for you to kind of talk about some of your experiences with collections and how it impacts the business. And and I can jump in with where from an operational side, it affects me and what I do, because if the owner is only worried about money or always worried about money, typically they're not listening to anything that I'm telling them to do anyway. So why don't you jump in? I think you had a pretty good uh, scenario that you were going to bring in to talk about, weren't you? Yeah, Um Collections for me has always been one of those things that, you know, you can think your company's doing great, but if you're not paying attention to collections, it can really come around really quickly and hit you in the back and you weren't expecting it. So, you know, a lot of times financial statements are built around a profit and loss that's on a cruel basis, which means it's based on what you build. It's not based on what you collected. So especially if you're following, you know, generally accepted accounting principles, you know, then it winds up being that the revenues are based on what was billed. So if you're not collecting it, it can come back. Like I said, it comes back and hits you in the back. You're not expecting it. So um, we had one uh, really pretty recently that that was exactly what was happening. Everybody was looking at the books and saying, look at this, we're doing great. And we're going to keep spending money because we're, we're, you know, we're bringing in all this money and the procedure was flawed. But um, I didn't know that until I came in and I got hired and they said, you know, something's going wrong. Our cash balance is really low. We don't know what's happening and we're, we're busy and we're billing and everything is great. And how can we be in this position? So everybody, you know, most of the time when I go into a client and start a new client, you know, I spend a lot of time in the accounting. I go into the system. I want to see how things work. I want to understand, are we getting right numbers? Because, you know, accounting's not an exact science. You know, everybody wants to think that it is, but it's not. There's some judgment involved. And, you know, when I went into this one, I did the same thing I always do, which I spent several days going through the through the numbers and through the books and through the system. And by the system, I don't mean which software they're using. It's which processes do they have? And so when I was going through the processes, you know, the CEO is behind me kind of going, well, when are you going to be ready to tell me everything that's going on? When are you going to tell me? When are you going to tell me? And I said, you got to give me a little more time to go through and explain it. And not long after that, I sat her down and I said, well, I just want to let you know your go forward plan includes collecting this $6 million of revenue. I said, but you don't have $6 million of collectible revenue. I said, you've either already collected it or it's no good. And And she said, that was the worst ice water bath she's ever gotten in her in her lifetime. And so, but I walked her through it and I said exactly what was happening was that they were using a separate system to do their billing. And when that system was spitting out numbers, P 
people were following the process of how to record it into the general ledger, into the, you know, the main system that put out mm -hmm. the reports. I said, but the problem is they recorded it in the books in a different accounts receivable account. And so the system actually was thinking that that was not included at all. So when it was giving the staff what they needed in order to actually book the next month's revenue, it was almost like they were double, doubling up. They were repeating the process. And it was, it was, I know it's a little more technical that I'm trying to get through here right now, but they actually were, were um, putting more sales in than were actually there. It's like they a double actually, entry, right? It was, say again? It was like a double entry, correct? It, was, it really was like a double entry. Yeah. And so when I went through and I explained it to her and I showed it to her, um, it was a really big shock. Um, and unfortunately, it derailed their entire go forward platform, their entire go forward plan. Um, was 100% changed. And at that point, there wasn't enough for the plan to actually be successful because it needed that money that it thought mm -hmm. it was going to get to fuel moving into the next piece. Um, and it's, it's one of those post-COVID kind of things where everybody thought that COVID was going to continue, that there was always going to be more COVID business. And then mm -hmm. once there was actually less People were still spending based on the based on the time that they were in COVID. So the problem was spending was actually up against what they were actually doing as their activity level. So it became a really big problem. And that's why collections is such a big issue. You know, you brought up a good point there. And I, I know off camera, we were kind of expanding on this, but um, you can't rely on your past to predict your future, Right. So there, there's got to be from a financial side of things, there's, there's different ways you have to look at the money and the numbers coming in and going out. Correct. Yes. Yes. And, and, and I think that's part of it. I think, you know, you need, you definitely need to always control your spending. Mm -hmm. And I think that boosted sales or shall I say, you know, kind of inflated sales, that aren't evaluated against collection um, is your is a is a big surprise because mm -hmm. you set your expenses based on a certain level. You've got to control those to the point where they're actually be more conservative. Nobody likes that when I say conservative, <laughs> um, but I tend to be very conservative because there's always the potential that the sales you can't predict when someone's going to pay that bill. You just can't. There's just, I mean, you can go by your history, as you said, you can go by your history and come up with what your reasonable parameters are and you use the reasonable parameters. If you're not doing that at all, that's the complete opposite of conservative. That's completely aggressive. That's just assuming that that money is going to come in tomorrow and it's always going to be here when I need it. And when it's not, it's, it's an ice water bath. Yes, definitely. And also a good example of why, you always need to have reserves because I know I, I have this with clients. I'm assuming you, you run into this too, where, well, there's money in the checking account. We're all good. Yeah. We're obviously <laughs> making more than we're spending right now because we got money in our checking account. Yeah. And that goes back to the past can't predict the future. Well, what happens if uh, now you have a major client that traditionally pays you well and they're running into problems. So now instead of getting paid in 30 days or less, it's now 60 days or less or it's 90 days or less, or it's 120 days or more. And 
that to me is is when things kind of the wheels fall off the bus and now you're in severe problems because you haven't built up any reserves on that um you know just to jump in here a little bit i got a client for example um we've been working on a situation where uh they've got a very good client pays them a lot of money but at the same point stretches their payments out 120 days or better my gosh, I couldn't operate my business if I had to wait four to six months to get paid for yeah. work. I already have, you know, had expenses towards, paid people towards and everything else. I mean, how do you handle something like that? Um, I think to a certain extent, it really comes down. You have to do it ahead of time. Uh, as best as you can, you have to try to do it ahead of time. You have to work with that client, especially if they're not paying in three, four or five months. Um, either you have to know that that's the way that it is and you plan around it and your pricing reflects the fact that you're going to wait five months. So you almost have an interest factor in what you price. You know, that's if you point. can't do that, you at least you at least have to have um, that discussion. And, and I run into it all the time, especially when I have a smaller client that's dealing with a larger buyer. Mm hmm. Um, the larger buyer seems to always have the upper hand. They always have their systems in place and you have to send them an invoice and it has to be in a certain format and it has to be done 100% perfectly. Otherwise, 30 days later, when they finally process the invoice, they say, nope, wasn't done right here. Do it again. But they start their calendar over. Again. Yes. They start their clock again. So at that point, you're no longer at 30 days or 60 days. You're now doubling that because whatever it took you to process the first time you're doing it again. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a, a, an issue. You have to have a relationship with the people that you're billing, whether it's for services, whether it's for product, like you're, you've got to be out ahead of that conversation. And when, when a smaller company gets a big order like that, a lot of times they kind of forget. <laughs> They're they, busy they, cheering they, they the big order. <laughs> They get excited about the big order and they forget the term. Yep. You know, it has to be paid. If it doesn't get paid, it didn't matter because your vendors are going to be expecting to get paid in a certain amount of time because they didn't forget. Right. And so you're going to have to pay them. And now you haven't collected that money yet for, you know, for the product that you shipped or the service that you provided. So, you know, it all comes down to when are you going to get your cash? You brought, I mean, that example you just went through is exactly what my client has been facing. And thank God I gave the good advice because I pretty much told them the same <laughs> thing you did. Um, the other thing I added to it is you really have to decide if this is the type of client you want to work with. Because, yeah. you know, if they're going to stretch it out 60, 90, 120 days and not even blink twice about it, um, is that something that's acceptable to you? Because I would not want to be that beholden to somebody else when I've already provided a valuable service that they tell me they love, but they're just not willing to pay for right now. And then to, again, have to jump through the hoops because I believe a lot of that's just games being played. Oh, you didn't fill this out properly. Now we reset the clock. That buys me another 30 to 45 days. And of course that won't be done right. So now again, move forward another 30 yeah. days and, you repeat the process all over again. And I, I think those games are stinky. And if you're willing to deal with companies like that, you really need to question whether or not you want them as your company. Yeah. 
I agree. I agree with that a hundred percent. It's kind of funny because, you know, around here, people hear me on the phone talking to clients, talking to vendors, and I do a lot of, you know, um, buddy, pal, you know, there's a, there's a camaraderie that goes along with the conversations and my wife will be walking by or, or will hear me on the phone with somebody and she's like, why do you do that? It's a huge part of what I do because it becomes more partner like as opposed to me and them. Right. And so collections sometimes does come down to a little bit of a, I'll call it a dance, mm-hmm. right? You're working with these people. They want to continue to work with you. You want to continue to work with them. What's the relationship? Forget the pennies and the who sent who, what check and what invoice got done right. You know, there's a relationship that goes along with we're going to continue to do this. We're going to be in business together for a while. Separate entities. I work over here. You work over there. That's all fine. But there's a relationship. And I think that's the key part to collections. I think you know, people who want to continue to work with you will work with you. So if there is an issue, you find a way to get through it so that the money gets there, you know, so that the money transfers to the right hands. And, you know, there are enough people out there who don't want to do the relationship part of it. They don't want to build that relationship. I do it all the time because it's very key to making sure that a client gets what they need. Mm -hmm. So when I have to get on the phone and I have to deal with someone you know, I generally start off with, you know, buddy, pal, friend, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, though, you know, when it comes time to get to the point where you show that you're not happy with it, I have no problem getting to that point when when we've gone through the cycle of, you know, starting off nice and getting to the point of what are you doing? So, well, and you know. out here, you know, I live in the wonderful state of Wisconsin and I would group this in Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota. There's what's called this Midwest nice thing where, you know, we don't want to upset other people. And it, in my opinion, it almost works to a fault for us because when, as you know, when you're dealing with collections, sometimes those discussions aren't always pleasant or comfortable, especially if somebody hasn't paid you in a while and you know, they don't want to bring up maybe the dirty laundry that's causing them to to not pay you right now. And you don't want to ask the questions out of fear of upsetting somebody else and then not getting paid at all. Um, I just see that time and time again with some of the clients I work with where they'll just, you know, they'll just ignore it. They'll pretend, oh, they'll don't worry about it. They'll pay me. Well, how do you know? If if they're not paying you, they're probably not paying somebody else or there's a line of people collecting. And guess what? It's the squeaky wheel that's getting the grease. So the guy that's coming in saying, well, you owe me this money. Come on. They send in Guido, collect up. Let's let's pay up. You know, they're going to put their priorities where the person who's being the nuisance is going to be dealt with first. And if you're willing to just passively let things go then you're lower on the totem pole. You're not going to get what's coming to you before somebody else. And to me, that's that's a big concern. I don't know how it is out on the East Coast. My opinion, you guys tend to be a little bit more direct out there on expectations, <laughs> but I could be wrong. I think so. <laughs> I think so. I don't think uh, I don't think I have too many people that I would say, oh, he's got that, you know, Midwest n- nice mentality, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Um, but uh, I would say it's a little bit, probably a little bit more direct, a little bit more, you know, 
um, maybe gets a little to that, you know, to the non nice side, maybe a little faster. Mm -hmm. Um, I I've been there. I've done things that, you know, I finally got to the point where I was frustrated with somebody. I was, uh, I had a satellite telecom company and I had a guy that was using our phone system through the satellite and he ran up some massive amount of bill and he kept promising me he was going to send me $10,000. And, you know, I kept calling him back saying money didn't show up. It's not here. Played it really nice until the end. He finally said something to me like, well, then go ahead and shut me off. So I did. <laughs> and the, the fact of the matter was he, he was in an, he was in an area where once that satellite phone went down, he didn't have a phone. So he had to find a way back to someplace else that had, you know, the equivalent of today's cell signal. Right. right? Uh, he had to go find a way to actually get back on the phone. And then finally, all of a sudden, $10,000 showed up <laughs> in my account. Um, so, you know, there comes a point where, you know, he said, shut me off. And I did. Um, I was the CFO at the time. Nobody, you know, everybody said, well, what's going on? I said, I had to do what I had to do. Right. Um, but how many you know, people don't it do had been, I can think of a number of yeah. companies I've kind of said the same thing to. I'm like, you need to cut off the supply because if you don't, he's yeah. just going to, he or she is going to continue racking up the bills and you're going to be on the hook for that much more. And then what if something happens and they decide not to pay you at all? Now you're yeah. way out. Yeah. Well, the uh, the company I was talking about that I had to give the ice water bath to the CEO. I mean, they had at least one client that was, you know, a year out, hadn't sent a dime in a year. And, you know, you look at it and you're saying, why are you using this as expecting you to collect it right now? It really looks like that should be written off. Like it's just you have so little chance that you're going to get a single dollar out of that. And we were talking about, you know, half a million dollars. Mm. So. It, it just, it can climb that fast. And then what do you do at that point? You know, you let it go that long. They think you're just going to keep letting it go because you didn't do anything about it. Yep. So, you know, at some point you have to decide what's my threshold. And and it starts out as a, what's my threshold for pain? <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, because how many people don't have the reserve that you talked about? You know, you, if you don't have the reserve, then what are you operating off of? Yep. And most people you know, don't know what the cash right. burn is each month either. That's another problem. Yeah, it's just like, good. well, you know, again, I have money to pay the bills. Everything's good. Well, what happens if that money's yeah. not coming in and you still owe for the electric, owe for the internet, owe for your satellite phone, uh, all these issues you, you have to be fully aware of. And it requires yep. some financial knowledge. Yep. What Absolutely. You, 100%. What would you do um, or what would you recommend? Maybe this is the best way to put it. So if you are starting a company or you need to put in place procedures to know what your collections were going to be or how you're going to handle collections, what would you recommend to a business owner to do? Um, I would uh, I would start out with a probably pretty aggressive push for being proactive and not reactive. Nine times out of 10, I'm dealing with a reactive AR department the minute I walk in the door. And I try to tell people, especially at the CEO level, that you need to go back and reevaluate who your customers are and what information you can get. Um, and the reason that I say that is, you know, the old school, and I, 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 
the, especially at the bigger companies, you know, your AR department includes a sort of credit department. Mm, yep. You know, you don't have automatically credit terms, you know, and everybody forgets that they're like, Oh, this industry, everybody gets 90 day terms. Really? <laughs> are you sure about that? You know, are you sure that you can, are you sure that you can actually offer 90 day terms? I don't care what the industry does. You're not the only player in the industry. You know, and all it takes is one big player in your industry and they become the 90 day player and you become more. Right. So you really have to understand who's your client and make your client fill out a credit application. You know, make them actually give you references, make them actually give you the information that you can check on before you offer them credit terms. You don't have to offer people credit terms. You know, you can say, we just don't offer credit terms. You got to put it on a credit card or you have, depends on how big the deal is. Right, right. right. You know, you're not going to put, you know, credit card doesn't make a whole lot of sense if, you know, out big products that are $100,000 a pop, you know, not many people have credit cards for (laughs) $100,000 that they could do that in a heartbeat, right? Um, So you want to evaluate exactly how this is going to play out as much as you can ahead of time. You know, that way you can decide what can I offer? Within the price that I'm trying to to sell my product for, what can I offer? Um, and nobody that I've seen in the last five years, I don't think anybody has shown me that they actually went through that process. There's no one, no one, no one that I've ever seen that has actually gotten credit applications that tell you whether or not they're credit worthy. Are they able to pay you for the things that you're going to ship tomorrow? Yep. I don't know of anyone who actually... <laughs> fills out credit apps. I mean, there's a few large companies that I've dealt with that um, do do that, but I'd say 99% of the businesses have no credit application process or no credit worthiness determination at all, uh, let alone setting up the terms for a collection or anything else. I think what you just said there is, is probably the most valuable information a business owner is going to hear nowadays, because hopefully what they're thinking is, well, you know, how do I set up a credit application? What do I need to check? Right. How do I verify that I'm going to get paid? And, uh, you know, I, I think something you had brought up earlier about, you know, there are certain industry standards where maybe payment is expected within a certain time frame that isn't, you know, what most of us expect. Mo- I think most people around, at least in my experience, expect to get paid in 30 days or less, maybe 45 days or less. Right. Um, but there are some industries where it might stretch out longer. It might be based off of sales. I know like in retail, for example, especially in perishable goods like grocery stores and whatnot, um, sometimes the hook's on you and it's based off of what they sell. And if they don't sell the product and it goes bad, you might be required to yeah. take that product back if you're a small fish. You know, some of these bigger corporations, they, they've got a little bit more leverage, um, but you also yeah. pay for shelf space. Uh, you have to pay yep. to be on a prime spot on the shelf or you're relegated to the very bottom or the very top, kind of out of eye view. Um, there's a lot of things that go on with with payment structures that I don't think people realize. And, and really, they need to understand their own industry better, but they also need to understand how they do it differently in order to collect on the money that's owed to them. Yeah. The, um, and the other thing is to make sure you translate that into your specific company. I mean, the... Um, we'll just call them the ice water bath company. (laughs) They, um, you know, they were working with, uh, oil and gas industry, Mm. which I don't know if it's actually true because I never looked it up, but the oil and gas industry 
you know, always claim to be 90 day payers. And problem is if you're a service business and you're providing something that involves giving hours, you know, those people get right. paid in under 30. So you're paying the people and then waiting 90 days to get paid. And then you go through the same process. You have to get these people to sign off on their timesheet. They need to have a supervisor at the client sign off on that. How long does the process take before the 90 days starts? So, you know, the big issue that I had there was the fact that they said, well, you know, we pay the people, you know, $25 an hour, we bill $50 an hour. Okay, but the industry you're in also requires a certain level of overhead like insurance. Mm -hmm. And so the cost of this is not $25 an hour. It's more than that right. because the amount of margin that you have at the bottom is really small. So the $50 less the 25 you paid the people, now you got $25 to go pay every other bill. Right. And here's the problem. Those people are 30-day terms also. <laughs> so you're paying all that. So you're paying out potentially $45 to collect 50 three months from now. So did you plan on that or did you just say, nope, my number says that I'm going to put this person out there for 25 and it's going to cost, I'm, I'm going to make 50. There's an example though, where you got to, if you're going to do stuff like that, you really have to be volume focused. You have to have so much money coming in from different sources. I, I, you know, as I listen to you talk about this, the only thing I can think of is the number of companies that put all their eggs in one basket. They've got 80 to 90% of their business with that one big fish who, you know, more or less pays their bills. They are the ones that write yeah. the checks. They've got money coming in, but if they go away, you're dead in the water. And yeah. to me, that's really a sign where whatever industry you're in, you really need to make sure you diversify enough with the client base that you've got. So you're not on the hook for any one individual client, especially if they're a big payer and they make up a bulk of your revenues, all they have to do is go away or cut back and you are hurting. So you have to find a way to offset that. Yep. Totally agree with that. Um, and it is very common, you know, that you do wind up with, you know, that one big fish. The, the, the scary part about that, like you said, the scary part is when they go away. Um, but the other scary part of that is the one that, you know, is a, to me, it might actually be a little scarier. What if they stay? <laughs> yeah, because they have they have the leverage. They have leverage over you, and if they know they have leverage over you, that you're always going to cater to their needs. You know, that becomes uh, in my industry we call it scope creep because yes. they're always looking for more, and they always know that eventually you're going to do it for yep. them. So, you know, it's a little scarier to kind of stick with that one fish. And talk about tying up your resources. Back to your example there, you're you're giving them all your resources which then inhibits your ability to grow, inhibits your ability to service other new clients. Um, yep. either you have to scale beyond that and, and deal with the issue as it sits right now until you can build around it. Um, or you got to figure out something different because yes, they will I have yet to find a client that won't try to get maybe a little bit more out of you each time. And it, it's yep. always a little bit. It's just asking for this always. one thing. And then after that one thing, it's another thing and another thing. And I, I believe it's just human nature. I'm not blaming a business for doing that. I think we all at yeah. times, you know, say, well, it's, this isn't that big of a deal. Maybe if I just ask them, they'll just take care of it. And then they do. 
And as we know, people move through path of least resistance. So, well, if you said yes on that, will you say yes on this? And over time, yep. it just builds and builds and steamrolls. And all of a sudden, you're you're doing all these things that you never agreed to do. And that's exactly where scope creep comes in. You just don't yep. realize it. And yep. to me, uh, you know, to kind of toot your horn for you, that's really where somebody like you comes in and has to be the guy that is kind of the bad guy, I'll say. You have to be the person. And I go through this, too. You have to be the one to say no. And it's easier to have that outside resource say no at times than it is for somebody internally or teach you how to say no effectively. So is, there's still a good relationship with that client, but they're no longer coming at you for every little thing. Or if they are, they're paying for it. Make it very clear. Yes, we can do that for you. And here's what we are going to bill you to do that. Are you okay with it? Nine times out of 10, they are. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, tough. It, it, it's, it's the toughest part of my job is being the guy that every, hopefully after a while, everybody knows I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm just trying to point out these are the things that, you know, we'll come back to haunt you if you do that. <laughs> um, so I have, I have become known as the guy who doesn't just let you do what you want to do. Um, if it doesn't make sense or there's an issue, I'll tell you what it is and I'll let you evaluate that. And then you move on to whether or not you make the decision to move forward or not. As long as you've heard me, I'm good. I mean, it's best I can do. Yeah. So, you know, but you know, people have said they've gotten used to the fact that they'll call with the expectation they might not get a, Hey, yeah, that sounds like a great <laughs> idea. Um, so sometimes the most powerful words in business are no, <laughs> <laughs> or is no, I should say for yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. So as we're wrapping up here, you know, we're, we're getting to our takeaway section. So I'm going to go with you. This is kind of uh, in your wheelhouse here. What's the biggest takeaway from this discussion around collections? I think that especially when you have a new client, the takeaway is take that new client, really understand who they are. See if you can do an evaluation up front. Maybe don't order, don't offer credit services right up front. Maybe at that point, let them build into it. If they're always good payers and they want 30 days, you're not going to have a problem with 30 days. But if they're horrible payers and you're you know, getting references that are saying they're horrible payers, you don't want to be in that I shipped for 60, 90 days. And then finally, they're sending me little checks to pick up, you know, their earliest orders. And now we're on 90 day terms, even though there's no agreement anywhere that says 90 days. So I think that becomes the takeaway that you really want to get ahead of your clients, make sure you understand when they're going to pay, how they're going to pay, get a history and understand it. And that way you can determine what you're willing to do to, to foster that relationship further than it is even right now. That's a good nugget I got to touch on before I, I jump into my takeaway here, which is you need to find out why that client is coming to you. Are they coming to you because their previous provider got sick of their BS and pretty much cut them off? So now they're reaching out to somebody else. And that goes back to where, you know, kind of my takeaway is, is really two things here. It's what you had just brought up, which is it's perfectly okay to put in, in place some sort of credit analysis, credit check, um, not always give up credit terms right away. But the second part of that is is you really need to diversify 
your offerings or the number of clients you have. You can't get in a situation where all your eggs are in that one basket because once you do, they control you. And you might sit there and say, no, no, they don't. I can, I can do whatever. Well, no, because what I've learned from most business owners is they'll go where the money is. And if they believe that money is coming in, they will sit there and they will, they will let that client do whatever because they believe they're going to collect that big check. And the last thing you want to be is the guy on the outside looking in when they either quit paying, when they go bankrupt, when they stretch you out to the point where you can no longer pay your bills. And that to me is the most scary thing when I'm talking with clients and they're saying, well, you know, we've got all this money that we should become, should be coming in, but it's not there and we don't know where it's at. Right. So with that, that wraps up this session of books in the biz. We hope you learned something from it. Rich, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, send me an email at rveltry, <coughs> rveltry at veltrygroup.com. Um, probably the best way, Dan. Well, best way to get a hold of me is go to danpaulsonletsgo.com. Uh, you should also like, subscribe, and hit the notifications if you're watching us on YouTube. If you want, you can also listen to this on a podcast. We, we go by Books in the Biz there. Look us up. We are on all the major directories, so check us out there. Rich, this has been fun. Hopefully what we've taught everyone is you need to collect your money. And that reminds me, I need to go collect my bills too. So with that, (laughs) we'll, we'll, uh, we'll log out for today and we'll see you next week. Thanks again. All right. Take care.